Hello and welcome to the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson. Thanks for joining us for this very first edition uh, of the podcast. So thanks again for joining us. Our guest today is Pastor Aaron White. Pastor Aaron, welcome to the podcast. Hello, it's good to be here. Well, how's it feel to be the, the actual first guest? Never before uh, uh, tested, so this is our, our trial run, so to speak. Well, you, you failed to provide strong coffee here in the studio, and so I'm, I'm probably a little more nervous than I would normally be, but uh, I'll forgive you just this once. But it is exciting to be here, and it is a blessing and honor to be here, and, and slightly intimidating, because <laughs> I'm not sure where you're taking me, but it should be good. Well, you know, somewhere in this house, we do have the totally depraved roast. Oh, good. But I have to admit, maybe in line with total depravity, I'm actually not a coffee drinker. Oh. So, really? don't judge me. Okay, well, I'm just going to pray for you silently while you continue here. <laughs> All right, well, uh, Pastor Aaron, you're the pastor of the River Hills Community Church in Janesville. You're also the author of three books we'll talk about later, and you have a blog that once in a great while you remember that you have. <laughs> I apologize. Yes, I do have a blog, and it, it is sorely neglected, but I, I'm trying to put my energies into other writing projects right now. Well, that blog's at www.gracebythemenit.com, and you can check that, and you don't have to check back very often, so no pressure. Yeah, we have, we have an, an annual celebration where I, I post something, <laughs> so you can come by annually. But yeah, the uh, energies are being placed in other areas, I guess. All right, well, the point of our podcast is to take uh, what can be seen as complex and difficult doctrine and break that down to where the average person in the pew can not just understand it and appreciate it, but grow deeper in deeper in their love and relationship with Jesus because of it. And so we believe that doctrine is intensely practical, at least in that fashion, that it, it grows us deeper uh, to Christ. So we're going to be talking about Romans chapter 8, and specifically verse 30. So I'm going to start by reading that. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So in that passage... I mean, we could spend weeks talking about uh, the impact of those four words. But today we're going to start off with, with the first term there, predestination. Those whom he predestined. And so we're going to open up on this very first broadcast a whole can of worms here about <laughs> predestination. So, Pastor, and what is predestination? What is predestination? Well, I, I applaud you for your very first podcast <laughs> for picking the, yeah, the most... One of the most inflammatory terms in yeah. Christianity. Um, but, you know, it's a sad irony that it is inflammatory. Uh, because if we'll notice in Romans 8.30, the verse itself appears in the context of a chapter that's meant to give comfort. Right. You know, so I think it's good to note contextually, verse 30 is not meant to be incendiary. Yeah. It's not meant to be a point of conflict. If you go back up to verses 23, 24, 25, Paul's saying we have hope, we have hope. Uh, go back to verse 18. He's speaking to those who are, are suffering, Christians who are suffering. Uh, even though they have the Spirit, even though they're not under condemnation, they experience pain. And so this verse is, it's unfortunate in a sad irony that we, when we want to begin a debate or, you know, uh, poke one another in, in the theological eye, we go to verse 30. Yeah. Because it's meant to be one of hope and one of encouragement right. contextually. So let's ground ourselves there in the context. And then we come to this word, Predestined. So the word is pro orizo. So pro is the prefix, and then orizo, O R I Z O, is the remainder of it. And that's 
You can almost hear the English derivative. Yeah. You're missing a couple of letters, but it's horizon, pro orizo horizon. And that's the idea to, kind of, if you look at a horizon, you see where the earth and sky meet. There's a marking off point. There's a definitive point out there. And that's kind of the idea is predestination, pro orizo, means to mark off or, or set apart beforehand. And that's simply what it means, is to set apart beforehand. Of course, Paul's building off of verse 29, but we'll we'll get to that. Right. <laughs> well, let's let's go ahead and get there. Well, actually, first, I wanted to look at the the eminent author R.C. Sproul. He said, um, "This is more than just a. This is more than just. I just happen to know what's going to happen in the future. Mm. God, we don't believe God is a prophet or some sort of fortune teller, but He knows because of a reason. This is all based on foreknowledge, as we're going to get to here." Right. Um, uh, Sproul defines as the doctrine that God is in consequence of his foreknowledge of all events infallibly guides those who are destined for salvation. And in the context here, we're talking about the issue of salvation, though I think it could easily be attributed to all things. God has a will for everything that happens. This is his creation. This is his plan, his will. And maybe we'll even get into Ephesians 1. But let's back up into verse 29. Uh, or even verse 28, uh, and we know that, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, he also called. Mm -hmm. And moving on all the way to glorification. So how do we fit that within the context of Romans 8? Well, in the context of Romans 8, you look at Romans as a whole, so the yep. letter to Romans, and then we look at chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8 are kind of bookends. If you look at the end of chapter 8 and the beginning of chapter 5, you'll notice some similarities. Paul's speaking of, of hope, um, reconciliation with God, the love of God, um, all of these things. And so this section is really on um, the outflow or the product or the fruit yep. of being justified by faith. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well... Chapter 5 says we have peace with God. Chapter 6 says we're no longer slaves of sin. Chapter 7 says we're free from the law. And then chapter 8 is kind of the crescendo, and it says that we're filled with the Spirit. And what you know, Because the Spirit has been largely absent until chapter 8, and then I think over 19 times yeah. it's the Spirit, the Spirit. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be indwelled by the Spirit? And so Paul spends the first kind of half of Romans 8, verses 1 through 17, of giving us the promises of, you have the Spirit. You uh, you are empowered to live in newness of life, to pursue holiness by His grace and by His power. You're no longer under condemnation. And that Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and He'll give yeah. life to your mortal bodies. But then at verse 17, He almost hits a minor key. Um, and He says, if we suffer with Him. And so then in verse 18, in Romans 8, Paul begins to kind of extrapolate uh, what does it mean to suffer with Christ even though we have the Spirit? Because it seems kind of paradoxical. And so what I've been trying to help my congregation understand is the already not yet paradigm. Yeah. That we already are justified, we already are saved, we already are secure, but we're not yet glorified, we're not yet in resurrection bodies. And so we live in between the overlap of the ages, the mm. already and the not yet, which means we have the Spirit, we have confidence, but we groan. You know, and Paul uses that word between verses 18 on into where we are today, he even says in verse 26 that we really don't know how to pray as we ought. You know, right. We don't know the, the mind of God because our minds are still finite, even though we have the Spirit. Um, so all that to say, it, it's meant to give hope. It's meant to give encouragement. Yeah. 
And then we come to a passage like verse 28. Contextually, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so, number of questions to ask there, probably don't have time today, but he's talking about what is God doing in their lives. He's, he's forecasting that he's going to work all things for your ultimate good, your ultimate right. glorification. That even though you're groaning, all things are working to bring you home to glory. Um, Derek Thomas has written a wonderful book on Romans 8, small, very pastoral, and it's called The Gospel Brings Us All the Way Home. And that's on this chapter because that's the whole idea, is that the gospel will bring you all the way home. Specifically, Jesus will bring you all the way home. Then you come to verse 29. He just said all things are working for our ultimate good, and but the question is for who? Does God work good in everyone's lives, you know, uh, carte blanche? Well, no. In verse 29 it says, for those whom he foreknew. The word foreknew is prognosco, kind of where we get the English derivative prognosis. And two things to note. The classic Reformed understanding, Luther, Calvin, um, most, many, most of the Reformed thinkers today, they see the word foreknow. You see the word know, knowledge. In, in Scripture, from start to finish, primarily, the idea of knowing someone is intimate personal knowledge yeah. of an individual. Cain knew his wife and bore a child. Mary did not know a man, you know, when she was conceived of the Lord Jesus. So this idea that it's intimacy of an individual. It's not just knowing something about them. That was always the classic Reformed understanding, is that God foreknew or God foreloved specific people. And that is backed up by the fact that there's personal pronouns in verse 29. Yeah. Those whom he foreknew. Now, Philip Melanchthon... Luther's kind of right-hand man later, I think after Luther's death, kind of altered that view to what what has kind of become the, the common view of that in evangelicalism today, which is, and it's kind of surprising because Melanchthon was a brilliant man, but he took foreknowledge to mean God looks forward through the corridors of time, sees who will choose right. him, and foreknowing what they will do predestines them based upon their action. But that flies in the face of what we know of knowledge of intimate knowledge of individuals and the scripture doesn't read that which he foreknew meaning faith it says those whom he foreknew meaning people and you see god operating that way all the way from uh, the calling of abraham to uh, the anointing of david to choosing israel and deuteronomy 7 it says why did god choose israel why did he set his love upon them he says i love you because i love you yeah. uh, there's no conditions there right. so when you come out of verse 29 paul's trying to give suffering christians hope to say God knew you individually before the ages began. Revelation 13, 8 says, Your names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. And then in verse 30, he goes to eternity future. So our lives are bookended. Mm. Foreknowledge in eternity past, known by God, and predestination, our destination is predetermined in eternity future. So our lives are bookended by God's sovereign grace. And, and that's not meant to be a point of argumentation. It's meant to be a point of encouragement. Right. Because if you're groaning and suffering, as Romans 8 says we will, oftentimes the enemy is trying to destroy faith, not just your body. And so if you're thinking, am I going to make it? Will God be faithful? Am I going to get home? Romans 8 is meant to answer right. that question for the believer, to say yes, because of him, not you. So what are some, we're talking about predestination, what are some dangers to avoid when studying this? When you're studying the doctrine of predestination, uh, we were at the pastor's conference this year in Minneapolis back in January, February, and Jason Meyer, who's now the senior pastor at Bethlehem Baptist, yeah. who you know, took over after John Piper, he, he gave a just kind of a passing comment, uh, 
but it, it stuck in my mind, and it was kind of a, a gentle rebuke to young preachers, I think. Mm. And it says, don't ever divorce God's predestination from his love. Yeah. Because in Ephesians 1, 5 and 6, it's, I think sometimes because the way the verse is broken down in, in like the English Standard Version and most English Bibles, the preposition is left off, you know, it says, in love. And then the verse begins, he predestined us. You know, but that preposition runs into, in love he predestined us for adoption of sons. Yeah. And if you look at First Thessalonians 2, 13 to 14, he, he says, uh, we know brothers loved by God or brothers beloved by God that he has chosen you. Paul speaks that way a number of times where he links God's foreloving and foreknowing intimately with this predestination. So I think, remember when it comes to predestination that it's it's not cold, mechanical. Right. Uh, you know, R.C. Sproul says that many times people will say, well, that's fatalistic. But the idea of something being left up to the fates, fatalistic. Yeah. You know, fates uh, are impersonal beings. We don't know what they're going to do. They're very capricious. But that's not at all the God of the Bible, that it's not fatalistic in terms of being right. an impersonal thing. It's very personal and very loving. I think another danger to avoid, and you hit on it in our, in our last section, this idea of predestination being based on foreknowledge, but foreknowledge simply being a knowledge of the future. God looks through the corridors of time and sees that I'll choose him. And I see a, a real danger in that you are divorcing history from God. Somehow, God is looking without him acting, separate from his interaction, there's this course of history that just takes place. Mm-hmm. And, and I think if you go too far down that road, uh, not only are you getting into open theism, but you're, you are divorcing the God of Scripture from the God of reality. And I think that's a very dangerous place to be in. And that idea that looking down the corridors of time would presuppose um, that God can or, or should or needs to look forward. You know, yeah. that if you look at the definition of omniscience, omniscience, and all-knowing, he knows everything in, in one eternal now. You know, God doesn't right. learn anything. God, there really is no forward, per se. Um, I mean, it, it stretches our minds you know, because we're tapping into an infinite being with finite minds. Yeah. Uh, minds that, according to Romans 8.26, you know, don't know how to pray because we don't know the infinite right. will of God. But as much as we can, when we say, if we were to say that God looks forward down the corridors of time, uh, that's just kind of odd phraseology yeah. in light of his omniscience. That, that does God really have a looking forward and learning right. things, or does he know everything in one eternal now? Well, and you also just, <laughs> if, if I can't pray, if I don't even know how to pray without the Spirit, how am I going to embrace the gospel without the Spirit? How am I going to come to Christ and, and a saving knowledge of him without the Holy Spirit. And that's what that presupposes, is that God's just looking at this. And, all right, well, we're, we're running out of time, so I want to hit to the application. And I think we've already kind of hit on this. We, Our tendency is to, as theologians, to look at this as cold and dead academic words that we want to fight about. But this is meant to, to encourage, to, to bolster the believer's faith. That was probably you're absolutely right. That's probably the the biggest thing that helped me was just preaching through the Book of Romans, which I, st- I still am. We started over a year ago, and we're now in chapter eight. We're almost right at the halfway mark. Uh, but just seeing it contextually, and not yeah. just jumping in, proof texting, you know, looking right. at a concordance for the word predestination, and trying to to build an argument on that. But just lo- running from Romans one, two, three, just working week by week, month by mm-hmm. month, just working in the text. 
trying to follow Paul's flow of thought, which at times is difficult, but coming into Romans 8 with the theology of and the totality of Romans. And then if you're preaching through Romans, you're also going to have a lot of Old Testament, right? because Paul is reaching back to the life of Abraham and different Old Testament texts all the time. And so by the time you come to Romans 8, if you do that, and you don't have to be a preacher to do that, just as a student of the Bible, just to read a commentary on Romans, to study the book of right. Romans, to... You know, many theologians say Romans is the, kind of the backbone of the New Testament because so many uh, doctrines, kind mm-hmm. of their tributaries, run through the Book of Romans. And so, just study. And then, I would I would wager that with a humble heart and a desire to learn, when you come to Romans eight, you'll see contextually that this is meant to give encouragement, based on what Paul has been saying all the way through the book, especially starting in chapter five and then six and seven, and then you come to eight, and and then looking and zooming in a little closer on the context of verses 18 through the end of Romans 8, you realize that, okay, he's he's really trying to help. Yeah. He's really trying to help Christians here. He's not trying to provoke. He's not trying to, to hurt. That He's trying to pastor us through life in the already not yet, when we're groaning, when we don't know what to pray, right. when we don't know if we're going to make it home. And the rest of Romans 8 is very telling. You know, what shall who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That's right. the concern. And so it's a doctrine like predestination, God's sovereignty, that answers the question, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Well, if God has done the work, then the answer is no one. Right. And that's so important because, you know, you're probably a lot more spiritual than I am, but I struggle in my faith. <laughs> that's a big assumption. Uh, quite, quite a bit. <laughs> you know, there are times where I feel like, you know, after I've done something terrible, that how could I possibly do this? Or, you know, sometimes I struggle, uh, whether it's temptation or whether it's even sometimes the existence of God or, or, or even bigger. But I can go back to a verse like this and see, you know, my faith is not just something I've conjured up, but God is working in my life. And I look at, at, at Romans 8, and I see there's a plan. God predestined, God called, it's he who justifies, and that's going to lead to glorification. It's not dependent upon how strong my faith is or uh, whether I'm able to overcome this temptation. God is working this within me. God had a plan before the foundation of the world, and that's what's going to carry me through. Amen. And I find that extremely practical, extremely applicable, and extremely encouraging. And who never thought predestination would be an encouragement, not just div- divisive? That seems to be the Pauline intention, exactly what you yeah. just said. And if there's any listeners, if red flags are going up, because when we speak that way, many red, and it happened to me too, so sure. be encouraged is, well, if you preach that way or if you say those things, then people will become lazy when it comes to pursuing holiness or people may just, just sin and have no concern for fighting sin. Um, that was my concern with this doctrine. Yeah. It, I couldn't argue with the fact that the word was there, but it it, it seemed risky you know, right. to, to embrace that fully. But again, if you look at Romans as a whole, already in your mind, if you've been studying and following Paul's flow of thought, Romans 6 has already been covered. And in Romans 6.1, he says, Shall we sin that grace may abound? Heaven forbid. God forbid. Meganoio. I mean, he's very strong. He says, no, 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 no. Uh, and so if you just go to Romans 8, you could import a wrong view of grace and a wrong view of yeah. sanctification, maybe. And say, oh, that's dangerous. But if you get it on the whole, someone who's taking Romans as a whole, someone who's uh, you know, being thoroughly biblical, you come to Romans 8, and, and it would not cross your mind. Right. Well, if that's true, I can, I can just go and sin, because Romans 6 is already had its way with your heart to where you say, no, 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 because of a passage like that, I want more of him. Well, and what's the alternative to that? Because the fact is, Christians are going to fall. Christians are going to sin. Mm -hmm. And 
if I don't have God's sovereignty in mind, if I don't have God's eternal plan in mind, how do I overcome that? How do I look at my sin and say, well, I failed. That it, It's over. It's done. Right. How do I get back up? Well, I can get back up because of this verse. I can get back up because I know God is working within me and I can continue on. Amen. So, well, let, let's wrap things up here. Uh, recommended resources. You, you mentioned a book by Derek Thomas, Bringing the Gospel uh, All the Way Home. Are there any other sources you, uh, you'd recommend for deeper study? Um, specifically on, on the doctrine of predestination, um, probably chosen by God, by Sproul. And I, I was referencing that um, uh, a number of times as just doing study yeah. on my own. So cho- chosen by God, I can't think of the subtitle, by R.C. Sproul. Knowing God's perfect plan for his glory and his children. Right. And that's, Sproul wrote that a number of years ago and it's been revised, but it's very helpful. It's, it's not, it's maybe 180 pages, yeah. you know, but it's it's deep enough that you're going to come away with a good understanding because the, the chapter headings are like predestination of free will, predestination right. and God's sovereignty. Um, so he's dealing with many of these questions in depth, but in a very, in a very pastoral, helpful Kind of way, and so probably chosen by God by our. It's a pretty easy read. Sproul is very easy to understand, mm-hmm. uh, and this was the book that really got me on the pathway to to understand this. Um, and the other book I would recommend, if you really want to get deep into it, the Reformed Doctrine of Predestination by Lorraine Bettner is uh, a classic work on that topic. But set aside some time for that; it's going to be uh, some deep stuff to chew on. But I think worth uh, worth the wait. Well, thank you, Pastor Aaron, for joining us, and uh, thank all of you for joining us. And don't forget, check out our website, www.basicbiblepodcast.org, and you can check us out on Twitter at BasicBibleCast. So we'll see you next time. Solo Deo Gloria.